You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are glad that you're here. So, two questions I want to ask you as you get started. Has anybody here ever been in love? It's weird, only like half the couples raise their hand. Okay, that's, we're just going to put a pin in that, but that's a problem. Um, all right, second question is, anybody do any, ever do anything stupid because they were in love? Yeah, wow, more hands went up this time. That is interesting. Okay, now, I ask you these questions because love makes you do crazy things. When my wife and I were first dating, um, about two months into our relationship was our first Valentine's Day as a couple. So we started dating the day after Christmas in 1992. So now after like the first of January, we had, you know, we were starting to get ads for Valentine's Day. And so now I'm like, I have, I've been dating this girl for like a week and a half and I want to get her something for Valentine's Day. And um, I got this advertisement for this gold bracelet that they were selling. And uh, this is the store that they were selling it at. If you remember Burdines, you are old school Florida, all right? Uh, you are old school Florida. So anyway, <clears throat> but they were selling this gold bracelet. It was 250 bucks. Now, now this is 250 bucks in 1992 money, not in 2024 money, which is like the equivalent of $8 now. But back then, that was like real money. And so now, once again, we'd only been dating for a couple of weeks. But I decided I was going to buy it for her. And, and, you know, and by the way, you're trying to be careful because sometimes you can kind of overshoot where you are in the relationship. But I didn't really understand things. So I was like, you know what, we're just going to go for it. So, but I didn't have 250 bucks. So I went down there and I gave them 40 bucks and, um, and I put the bracelet on a thing called layaway. And so now, you guys, you guys remember layaway? Yeah, well, a lot of you are Latin, so if you're Hispanic, layaway is the only way. So that's how that works. And uh, now, so those of you that are younger and you don't know what layaway is, let me give you a brief tutorial. Uh, now, if you want something you can't afford, you put a deposit on it, and then they take it off the floor. They put it in this special room that's under lock and key until you can pay it off and take it home. So basically, layaway is like a type of jail for your stuff. And you're trying to come up with enough money until your stuff can get paroled. That's the short of it. So anyway, so I'm starting college and I'm working at a sub shop making four bucks an hour. And, um, but I was doing everything I could to earn some extra money so I could just pay on this because I really only had, I had about a month to get it out of layaway prison before Valentine's Day. And, um, and I, and I, bought it for her and gave it to her and she loved it and she has it to this day and who knows, maybe that's, that's how it all worked, right? Because we had been dating for a month, that was 31 years ago. And uh, so we've been married for 27 years now, yeah. Maybe that was the key. <clears throat> but you know what's funny is I tell you this story and if a guy after the service comes up to me and he says, hey, I've been dating this girl for a week and a half and I want to buy her an expensive gift, I would say like, that is irresponsible. Your relationship isn't there yet, right? I'd be doing all that. And it's like, but you just said that you did it. I'm like, that's different because it worked out for me. It's probably not going to work out for you. And uh, it's weird that we do that. But this is the thing, right? The thing about love is that, you know, love doesn't care about your budget. 
Love doesn't care about measured responses, right? Love simply wants to express itself to the object of whatever is the person that, that's, that's loved, right? And um, so now if you want to know who or what you love more than anything, all you have to do is follow who or what you're willing to be unreasonable for. It doesn't matter what you say you love. It, all you have to do is follow who or what are you willing to be unreasonable for. That's what you love the most. When I was in high school, I, um, I wanted to go to a concert. And so I'm into many concerts in high school. But one of the con- uh, so, but this was like, you know, I know that now um, you just download the Ticketmaster app. I mean, the Ticketmaster existed back then. Ticketmaster's been around since the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. Um, but, um, and just as criminal. Um, but anyway, the... Um, but be, back then, uh, when I was in high school, you had to go to an actual Ticketmaster outlet to buy a ticket. And so I remember that I went to, I was 16, and I slept outside of a Ticketmaster outlet at Sunrise Musical Theater so I could buy tickets to Metallica in 1989. And uh, once again, I slept on the sidewalk. Totally unreasonable. And, uh, but it's just, it's what you did. When I was dating my wife, we, um, I, she had gone away to college. Um, it, she had gone to Tallahassee, and um, she calls me. And she says, "I'm not feeling well. I think I have pneumonia." And uh, and I was just like, "Okay, I'm on my way." I hung up. And once again, there's no cell phones or beepers. Uh, I'm thinking maybe beepers, but um, I, I mean, I just got in my car. I drove 450 miles, picked her up, threw a bag in there for her, and then drove back home and took her to the doctor. I mean, that was just unreasonable. But it's just it's just what love does. When Star Wars Episode Seven came out. Um, and listen, we hadn't, had, we hadn't had Star Wars since 2003. I mean, we were in a situation, right? And, um, so, we, and so, the, when, and by the way, we were very excited for um, episode seven. If we knew how, seven, uh, how eight and nine were going to turn out, I think it, we would have been a little more controlled, but we didn't know back then. So anyway, so my, some friends and I, we went to a Star Wars marathon that started at three o'clock in the morning at Cinemark in Davie. So we go to Cinemark in Davie at three o'clock in the morning to watch Star Wars episode one. That took us all the way till about 11 a.m. When they gave us, after episode three, they gave us a break. And then we started with episode four and that took us till about 6.30. Then we had to leave the theater and then we had to go back in and we were the first people to see the premiere, I think an hour before everybody else. And um, I was on the news that night, funny enough, because I gave my opinions, which are very important, about what I thought on the, on, on, um, about, um, and so anyway, it was on Channel 4, I think, and, um, but, and it's amazing to me, and by the way, I want you to think about this, from 3 a.m. until 10 p.m., eating nothing but movie theater food, right, that's, you know, you're like, wow, that's, that's, like, that, listen, that's just nuts, and uh, I'm amazed I'm still here to tell the story after eating all that amount of popcorn, and so, but listen, the truth of the matter is, is that that's just how it is, whatever it is that you love, it's whatever you're willing to be unreasonable for, and, and listen, I'm telling you this because the section that we are in in the book of Acts, we're going to see people displaying what they really love, and it's always what you're willing to be extreme for, and, and by the way, sometimes it, well, it's because the goal is to not be extreme, no, I, I don't believe that, I believe the goal is to be unreasonable in your love, but only for the right things. And that's really the key. And when you decide, when you decide that you're going to be extreme about the right things, and listen, that your life gets a whole lot better. Your relationships get a whole lot better. You have purpose in your life like never before because you decided to love the right things supremely. 
and that led to being extreme about what mattered most. So we're going to start, we were in chapter 19 when we finished, and we're going to start, now remember, if you're with us, we finished in chapter 19, and things are going incredibly well for the Apostle Paul. He's been there, uh, he's been in Ephesus now for almost three years, lots and lots of people are coming to know Jesus, lots and lots of churches are springing up in all different areas, even in the surrounding cities around Ephesus because of his ministry there. So then, of course, you can, we can see what happens in verse 21. It's a kind of a longer section, but I got to give you the whole thing so we can really get the picture of it. So look what happens in verse 21. It says, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So we sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, that is, believers. Um, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made shrines, silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many away, uh, turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he not even venture into the theater. And some therefore cried one thing and some another, and the assembly was confused. Most of them did not know why they had come together, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanted to make his defense to the people. When they found out he was a Jew, all with one accord cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. If you pause there and give me your attention. Okay, three things that we're going to look at when it comes to um, what love makes us do. Number one is this, love is revealed by what moves you emotionally. So let me set the scene. Some of Paul's friends have been dispatched. Now, if we can see the map, Paul is in Ephesus. He's in Ephesus, and he dispatches Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia because his plan, as, we, as he said, was, I'm going to go to Macedonia, Achaia, then um, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and then he says, I must also see Rome. So Paul is still in Ephesus, and many people, uh, and the, the problem is so many, and this is just such a great testimony, that so many people have come to know Jesus that it has impacted the sales of the Diana idols that they sell. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Diana was considered the goddess of the hunt, uh, the goddess of fertility, and the goddess of motherhood. And um, here is a picture of uh, Diana. She is featured as like this multi-breasted uh, woman, which I guess it was a symbol of beauty, maybe. Uh, I think it's gross, but you know, that's up to your personal taste, I guess. And um, so now, 
By the way, if you want to see this in person, of all places, it's in the Vatican. So, uh, you know, when in Rome, I suppose. Um, so anyway, that's where it is. But Diana is her Latin or Roman name. Um, her Greek name is Artemis. Um, according to Greek mythology, Artemis is the daughter of Zeus, the twin sister of Apollo. And um, the largest temple to Diana was found um, in Ephesus, actually just outside of the city of Ephesus. Um, this temple, by the way, the temple of Diana, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a massive temple. Uh, it, had, it was 127 pillars. That's how big this thing was with uh, the statue of the goddess all the way uh, in the back. Now, if you, um, the, the temple was destroyed by the Visigoths in 268. So if you go now to Ephesus, there's literally just one um, pillar standing, which is really kind of pathetic. But anyway, that's it. Um, but the temple was popular, and people would go there, and uh, the silversmiths would make these little idols of Diana and uh, to take with them. So if you can imagine, you go to Washington, D.C., and you get this little replica of the White House. It's like, okay, just I was there. Or you go to Paris, and you get a little replica of the Eiffel Tower. Or Chicago, you get the Sears Tower. Or if you're in Chicago, maybe you just get murdered. And um, <laughs> that's just like, hey, something to remember us by. Um, you know, the murder capital of America. And so anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> so now... But except the, what they were making, these idols weren't just souvenirs. They were given for the purpose of personal worship and private worship. So all these people start coming to know Jesus. And so they get rid of all their idols. They stop buying uh, all of their idols. And the guys who are making money um, on all of this are now concerned. So this is where we meet our friend Demetrius, who is a silversmith, according to verse 24, and seems to be the guy in charge. And maybe he's the president of their guild or whatnot, but... He explains how they're losing money because of Paul, because of the gospel that he's preaching. And I want you to notice the emotion in verse 28. It says that they are filled with wrath. I mean, they are so angry. Why? Because they're losing money. And uh, they go into the theater at Ephesus. And um, by the way, the theater at Ephesus has been totally excavated. And uh, here's a picture of it. Um, this is part of it. The theater at Ephesus uh, seats about 25,000 people. So when it says they filled this, this is, this is like a lot of people going in, screaming for two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians. And uh, there's so much confusion. One of the guys wants to talk. They find out he's Jewish. Then they start screaming even more. I don't know if you've ever been to a place where people are screaming and yelling for two hours straight. Um, if not, just watch a congressional hearing and you'll get that same vibe. And, uh, but what's, what's happening here? Why are people being so unreasonable? Because what they love is being threatened. And, and by the way, it's not Diana, it's the profit that they're making from all of their, you know, Diana products. And, and this is why in verse 27, he says, this trade of ours is in danger of falling into disrepute. And by the way, this is an important principle of spiritual life, that everyone is a worshiper. Everyone is a worshiper. Uh, oh, but I'm not a Christian. Doesn't matter. You're, everyone worships something. We are hardwired to worship. And, um, and, and you say, well, I'm not, you know, this, whatever. It doesn't matter. We all worship. And because ev something in your life gets ultimate allegiance, whatever that is. Now, the second thing is like it. Not only is everyone a worshiper, but you become like the thing that you worship. That is an absolute reality of life. You become like the thing that you worship. This is why when God brings his people out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai and gives them uh, the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other commands, but one of the things that he says is the first command is no other gods. Why? 
because you become like that which you worship. And by the way, sometimes people think, why does God need to be worshiped? Is he like got an inferiority complex? Um, Did he create people? No, none of those things, right? God didn't create us because he was lonely. Um, God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not better fellowship than than them, okay? Um, But here's the thing. God is good, and God has the ability to create. And so he created because love is part of his character and who he is. And worship is so important, not just because it's important for us to recognize who God is in the context of our lives. But listen, here's the other thing. God understands that we become like that which we worship. So if you decide to worship God, Yahweh, you know what um, is, is happening? Is that you're going to become more like him. You're going to become more gracious, more loving. You're going to have more wisdom, more mercy, more kindness, more patience. In fact, otherwise, the psalmist would say it this way. Um, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Ears they have, but they do not see. They, uh, or eyes they have, but they do not see. Ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in them. And here's the key in verse 18. And those who make them are like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. Why is this true? Because what you worship, not what you say you worship, but what you truly worship, what you will do anything for, that's your God. And whatever your God is, you are becoming more like. You see, think about this. The reason why this is important is because, and I know that we don't like to think about the fact that, oh, you know, that we're influenced by things, but we are. We are. You go visit some, some place that people there speak with a certain type. I grew up in Boston, so people speak with a certain type of accent. But, you know, you're there long enough. You know what's going to happen? You're going to start picking it up. Why? Because it's just what happens. We're, we're influenced. And, I, and I've seen this, uh, especially in the life of my kids. When my, my oldest daughter, Mia, was about five years old, was when the movie Kung Fu Panda came out. And she loved Kung Fu Panda. She loved Kung Fu Panda so much, we told her she couldn't watch it anymore. And um, because when Mia would watch Kung Fu Panda, she wanted to do Kung Fu. And the problem is the only person she could do Kung Fu with was her three-year-old brother, and who was not well-versed in Kung Fu at the moment. And so he was like getting all banged up because her brother, her sister was like karate chopping him. And uh, it turns out everybody was Kung Fu fighting. And, uh, and so anyway, now, um, so I decided I was going to do this experiment. And I'm like, hey, we're not going to watch uh, Kung Fu Panda for a while, so I introduced her to a different show. This is it. Um, I introduced her to a show called The Care Bears. Now, um, The Care Bears was an amazing show that came out in the 80s. It came back in a time when you had to answer the phone to know who was calling you, and um, which I know that that's weird, but um, I was explaining to my kids that one day. They're like, so you would just, how would you know if you should answer? I'm like, that's the thing. You just had to answer. But what if it was someone you didn't want to talk to? There's no choice. So what it would happen? Well, you just let it go to voicemail. Oh, by the way, no voicemail. And uh, we, got, uh, we got answering machines, but that was way later. And um, so you just had, so what would happen? It would just ring forever. So anyway, then you had to answer and you'd be like, hello? And then they'd be like, oh, you know, and then, or, you know, you didn't know. Like, oh no, it's someone I'm related to. You know what I mean? It could be weird. And, um, and that, you know what's weird? I noticed this about myself. Maybe you do this, probably not, because you you're, seem like a, you know, mature individual. I was still answering my phone like that, even though I knew who it was. I feel like, hello? Like, I saw who it was. There's no guesswork anymore. But uh, so then, you know, because when I would call my friends, they'd be like, hey, what's up? You know, and I'd be like, hey, what's going on? But I would pick up the phone and I'm like, hello? You know, like, as this is some kind of surprise. And that, so about three months ago, I decided, like, I'm not doing that anymore. So now it's just like, hello? 
you know, no, I'm just now I'm like, hey, what's going on? So, but I, I'd, I'd like train myself in that. Well, anyway, so if you don't know about the Care Bears, just a quick synopsis of the Care Bears. Care Bears live in a city called Carolot, of course, and uh, this town, and they all have different gifts. Uh, they're much like the X-Men, if you're familiar with them, except they don't have any of the trauma or emotional problems that the X-Men have. Because let's be honest, Xavier's school is way more of an insane asylum than it is a uh, school for the learning. And so anyway, so whenever the Care Bears had a problem, and by the way, trouble found, trouble happened in Carillon, they would all join hands and literally as they would, you know, like just they'd get themselves all worked up into a frenzy and then like um, goodwill and kindness and love would just shoot out of their stomachs and that's what would solve the problem. And, um, and so, and you know, they're bears. So like the bigger your stomach, the more love you had to give, which is a societal situation I could get behind, by the way. Um, now, and I was pretty confident that there would be, so I introduced this to my daughter because I was pretty confident there would be no blood as a result of the Care Bears. Although I did see this picture recently. Um, these are called the I don't care bears. Um, th these are the bears that dropped out of school and started smoking weed. So stay away from those guys. So now let me tell you what happens. What happens is, is that I start showing care bears to my five-year-old daughter, Mia. And you know, it's amazing. Now she doesn't want to karate chop her brother anymore. Now she just walks up to her brother, her little brother and just kiss him and hug him. Why? Because listen, if a TV show can curb your behavior, and by the way, you, you're going to think that this is like, oh, that's because, you know, you're five years old or whatever. Let me tell you something. Um, I see this in my own life. Like, I'll see some action movie, and I will be so fired up that I, I, my, my wife and I went to see some, some movie. I think it was like one of the John Wick movies. And by the way, don't even email me about that. Like, that movie was rated R. Good for you. All right. If you email me about it, I'm an, I don't know how to block people on email, but I will learn, all right? Anyway, moving on. So I go see John Wick, and, um, and so I'm walking out of the theater, and there are these punks, and I am like, and I'm like, oh, we are going to throw down right here. And, uh, and, and my wife is like, Bob, you are a pastor. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm a pastor who's about to teach some people a lesson. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm just going to do. And even though I have... Uh, hovering around 0% of the skill that John Wick has and maybe like 5% of the flexibility, um, I'm about to do something. And then my wife reminded me, she's like, um, she's like, Bob, uh, these are all middle schoolers. And I'm like, well, all right, I'm going to let it go. But, and, and I was like, <laughs> like they knew, they knew what was up when I was, and this is, uh, listen, I'm not normally like this. I'm like a very fun loving person. But I saw like a two-hour revenge movie, and I was, I was like, I was, uh, anyway, I was there. And uh, whatever that word is, that's where I was. And, uh, and, so, and so my point is this. If a TV show or a movie can start curbing your behavior, what happens uh, when you think, think about the power of whatever it is you give the greatest value to in your life? How is that going to influence you? Of course it's going to influence you because we become like that which we worship. So what happens? They are screaming for two hours. Great as Diane of the Ephesians. Look what happens in verse 35. It says, when the clerk of the city had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, uh, what man is there who does not know that the Ephesians, uh, that the city of Ephesus, a city of the Ephesians, the temple uh, guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet to do nothing rashly. 
For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. And there, uh, there being no reason uh, which we may give an account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Uh, verse, chapter 20, it says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now we had gone over to that region, encouraged them with many words. He came to Greece and stayed about three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, he was about to sail to Syria and uh, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away uh, from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and five, in five days joined them in Troas, where we stayed seven days. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Lots of moving parts. This is a lot of fun if you see the map. But um, the second thing, if you're a note taker, is that your love is revealed by your choice of friends. Why? Because your friends are leading you in a certain direction. Now, so there in this, this mostly peaceful protest ends. And then uh, Paul decides to go to Macedonia. So we can see the map. Paul leaves Ephesus. And he travels to, uh, by boat, he travels to Macedonia. He makes his way down to this area of southern Greece. And his plan was, as we read, to go to Syria because Antioch of Syria was uh, his home church. And so that's where he was headed. Instead, the Jews are plotting to kill him. So he decides to go back north. He heads to Berea. There's a guy named Sopater that says, hey, I'm going to help you get over. So they go now to Philippi. They get to Neapolis, which is the port city. And he makes his way to Troas. And um, he'll be there until our study next time. But um, now here's the thing that I want you to remember is that Paul has been at Ephesus for three years. This is the longest time that he spends in any city in any of his missionary journeys. And now that season is over. And this is a sad scene. In fact, uh, next time we'll, we'll finish chapter 20 and we'll spend the whole time looking at Paul's final words to the leaders at the church at Ephesus. And it is this very moving, very emotional uh, scene. And we're going to talk about um, just the importance of our words and, and, and the impact that our words have uh, on other people. Now, I want, you to, I want to back up for a second because Paul wants to go into the theater. And his, the disciples say, no, those who are his friends that are city officials say, you can't do this. And his friends that are now his ministry colleagues go over to Macedonia to get things ready for his arrival. Now, let me just tell you that as you see the good people in his life, helping him, really trying to help him make good choices. Listen, this is something that I have told my kids um, probably close to a million times since they were born. And that is this, that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So what does that mean? You better be, make sure that those are five good people that you're spending time. You got to choose your friends wisely. And by the way, this is not, um, this is not just advice for teenagers. Um, there's some folks hitting middle age that need to retire some of their friends. And uh, why? Because some of these friends just aren't going in the same direction as you. And that's the sad reality. And I've watched as a pastor, I've watched this over and over 
um, in my life. I see people come to know Jesus and, and they still allow their old friends to have a big influence in their lives and then they struggle in their walk with God. And then you hear people say like, well, they don't really love the Lord or they're just not committed. It's like, no, 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 it's none of those things. It's actually simpler than that. It's that they have a circle of friends that they have planted themselves in that will not allow anything healthy to grow. And that's the real challenge. And, and so, and listen, sometimes people, you know, they're like, well, does this mean we should become hermits and not have any contact with people who aren't believers? Not at all. By the way, if someone did that to us, we, we wouldn't have come to know Jesus because people come to know Jesus because of other people who come to know Jesus. That's how that usually works. But what I am saying is we have to differentiate between people that we're ministering to and people that we're learning from and growing with. And that's the key. Because once again, as, I, as I, we talked about a moment ago, the people in your life are influencing you. That's just how it is. You've had this happen, right? You, you ever have uh, like, you know, one of those plastic storage bins, like food storage bins? You ever put something in a food storage bin that had something else in it before, but that other thing before never got like totally eradicated when it got washed? And then, so now the new thing tastes like the old thing. You ever have that? I had one day, this is a while back, I had this glorious piece of chocolate cake that I was saving. Technically, I had two pieces. I ate one. It's not really part of the story. And so, anyway, but I had these, this piece of chocolate cake that I was saving. I put it in a plastic storage bin. Little did I know that plastic storage bin had previously contained garlic paste. And um, so the next morning when I opened that thing up, uh, not that I eat cake in the morning, anyway, um, that's not really part of the story either. Anyway, you could have killed a vampire with that garlic chocolate cake because it was totally ruined by the garlic flavor. Totally ruined. I mean, I still ate it. That's not really the point. Uh, <laughs> you can't waste it. But I mean, the, the garlic flavor was powerful in every bite. That's the point I'm making to you. And so, but listen, this is the power of people in your life. And by the way, it doesn't matter if it's the right people or the wrong people. As far as are they going to influence you? Of course they're going to influence you because everyone's circle of friends influences them. So the point is just choose wisely. I love what Solomon says in uh, Proverbs chapter 12. He says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Listen, can I be honest? And this is especially true for guys. Um, we have no idea how friendships even happen, right? Women, like they meet, oh, we had a lot in common. Then we met again. Then we talked. With guys, it's like, how did you become friends? Like, I don't know. I think we went to school. Or, you know, we went to buy something and he sold it to us. We're like, well, you may as well come with us. And then I was the best man at his wedding. I mean, that's just how, you know, it's a, there is this weird thing that happens. Like, it's like he lived next door. We went to school. We worked together, you know. And so, but listen, um, how do we choose quality people to be friends with who are going to enrich our lives? So here's, here's two things you can choose. Number one, um, choose friends who make you better. Choose friends who make you better. Um, there are friends who speak life and truth in such a gracious way that when you have uh, that disposition, uh, those qualities, even the most powerful people in the world will seek you out. That, that's what Proverbs 22 says. He who, lives, uh, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Here's the second thing, and that is choose friends um, who live out godly wisdom. 
live out godly wisdom. And that is, they are where you want to be. Not just, um, it's not just where you want to be like career-wise or family-wise, but they are living out the principles that you want to be known for. Their walk with God has impacted and permeated every part of their life. And Solomon would say it this way in Proverbs 27, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Paul did this. He invested in people, and in, when the moment came, they invested in him to help him make the right choices. And now, I love this, um, these verses. This is, it's sad and hilarious all at the same time, so you'll see. Verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and a window in the window a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Dun, dun, dun. And, uh, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for life. His life is in him. Now when they had come up, they had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and they were not a little comforted. And if you pause there, uh, last thing I want to tell you is that your love is revealed by your willingness to sacrifice and whatever it is you're willing to sacrifice for. Now, this is a tough situation, right? Paul is preaching, and some dude falls asleep and just falls out the window. And, um, you know, I've, I've preached to a lot of people in my life, and, um, but I, and I've had people fall asleep when I preach, but I've never had anyone die in our service. I have a good streak going, okay? In fact, I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> probably my favorite time someone fell asleep. Uh, my dad attended this church for, I don't know, 10, 12 years before he died two years ago. And um, uh, one time my dad came to church and, um, and, and he fell asleep. It, it was like 10 minutes into my message and he just knocked out completely. And then, um, which, you know, once again, if it's someone else, it doesn't really bother me. But when it's like your own father, just like, hey, you know, wake me up when this is over. And uh, that it hurt a little. And uh, so anyway, he, um, so the message ends. And then I go up to my office to get something to drink, uh, water. And, um, and, uh, and he goes upstairs. And he wants to say hi to the kids or whatever. And then he comes into my office and he says, hey, Robert, that was good preaching. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. You don't think I saw you, dude? I saw you. You were knocked out. You were totally asleep. You had no idea what I was talking about. And he goes, Robert, you got to understand, when I come here, I feel so much peace. And it just, it just puts me out. And I'm like, no way. I'm so, no, no. And I'm like, first of all, as far as, you know, moves, well done. But no, that no credit, no credit on that. And so anyway, but I've never, I've never had anybody. Uh, so uh, by the way, Paul preached until midnight. I'm not, a, I don't feel bad about going a few minutes over anymore. I mean, this guy was going hours long. So um, now, but I will tell you this. I'd never had anybody die in a service, but um, a few years ago, I was, um, uh, there's a, a I got, I, I flew to Virginia because there was a conference that this denomination was doing their annual conference. And um, I wrote a book uh, about 10, 11 years ago called Pull, which is a book for church, uh, pastors and church leaders. The 10th anniversary edition just came out. Anyway, so I, I ordered, uh, I mean, I, um, they decided they wanted to do this whole conference based on my book. And they said, hey, we want to do it based on your book. Will you come and be the keynote speaker? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So I told my wife, and I'm like, hey, why don't we take the kids? 
Um, the kids can see some snow and then we can do some fun, like historical stuff. You know, we homeschool our kids, so we have some flexibility. So I said, hey, let's do some, you know, let's, let's go to Colonial Williamsburg and do some things like that. So we said, okay, we're going to do that. All right. So anyway, um, so now let me just explain something to you. It was so cold in Virginia. I mean, like, I didn't even know what to do with myself. And when we were packing, uh, my wife was like, Bob, you probably want to pack warmer clothes. So I said, honey, I grew up in Boston. The cold has no effect on me. Now, here's the thing. I left Boston in 1987, okay? I have ceased being a Bostonian. I am firmly a Floridian now. My blood is as thin as it's ever going to be. And so anyway, so, but you know, I just said no. So we get there and we fly in kind of late. So we fly from Fort Lauderdale to Richmond. We get to the Richmond airport and we, we're getting off the plane and we get the bags and we're about to walk out and the double doors open. And there is this wind that comes howling through. Friends, let me explain something to you. This, it went through my body. I mean, it went into the skin, through my bones and came out my back. I mean, I, I, it was, it was like, I couldn't even breathe. It was so cold. And, um, and, and, but you know, I couldn't say anything because, and, um, and so my wife, because I knew I was wrong and I just didn't want to be wrong yet again in front of my wife. So I just, ha I just, I just decided, Bob, you got to double down. And she's like, are you cold? And I'm like, are you kidding me? My only regret is I can't teach this conference shirtless. And uh, so and we're like, let's keep going. So, um, so we did a couple days in Richmond and then the conference itself was in Virginia Beach. So we drive like an hour and a half or however long it is to Virginia Beach, which is beautiful by the way. And um, so we're out at dinner and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was an Outback Steakhouse that we went to. And um, there was this long line. And so um, we had to, um, so we, we're, we put our name down and then we're standing outside of the restaurant and my son says, um, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm so cold. Can I have your scarf? <laughs> the problem is he said it with my wife standing right there and he's like, can I have your scarf? And I'm like, yeah, yes, you can. And, uh, so I took my scarf off and gave it to him. And, uh, and, <laughs> and so, and then uh, they had to get something. We had, they, uh, somebody needed to get something out of the car. The kids were younger. So, you know, there's like a million things you have to have for kids. So anyway, so I'm like, Xander, hey, come with me. So we walk over and, and he says, and he's got these, his scarf, my scarf, his gloves, everything. And he's like, dad, I'm just not built. I'm just not built for this kind of weather. And um, so I kneel down and I grab him by the jacket. He looked, probably looked, someone probably looked on like, who's mugging that little kid? And uh, I grab him and I'm like, Xander, it's freezing. I am so cold. I cannot feel my body at all. Do not tell your mother. And, uh, and that was the last that we spoke of that. And then, and then they, um, they call our name. To, for the restaurant. And they're like, uh, you know, Frank was party five. Like, yeah. And they're like, hey, um, we, we could seat you right now if you're willing to sit outside. And, um, and so my wife is there and she's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, that's actually my preference. Uh, and so, and they had one of those little hut things. Anyway, that did nothing. Um, they did, it, anyway, so 
Uh, so that's, so Friday night, the conference starts. I don't, I'm not the speaker on Friday night. I do this Q&A panel. And then Saturday morning, I'm the, I'm the keynote speaker. So I get there and there, the, it's, a, it's a pretty big conference room. Seats maybe like 800 people and it's fairly full. So they introduce me. I stand up. I start kind of doing my thing. And um, I see over to my left, which is your right, but stage left, um, I see that some people start standing up. And, you know, typically kind of where by the doors that people come in, that's like the last area where they set up chairs. So I just, I'm, I just, in my mind, I'm like, oh, they're probably just taking out more chairs. So I just keep going. And then I see more people start to stand up. And I'm like, wow, the people just need more chairs. Maybe they heard I was speaking. And, uh, and so anyway, so they say that. Then the gentleman who's organizing the conference comes up and he's like, pastor, we need you to stop for a minute. And I'm like, oh, okay. And um, well, then I found out what happened, why everyone was standing up. Because while I was teaching, someone, uh, while I was teaching, someone goes to stand up. And when they go to stand up, they passed out. As they passed out, they hit the person next to them and just, they just knocked on the heads. It knocked that person out. And so now you got two people knocked out and laid out. And so, I mean, if you've ever been bowling, you understand what's going on. And so now, so people are standing up and they're like, oh yeah, it's a 7-10 split. And, um, so then this whole situation has to get handled. And then I, I come back up, I finish, and then I go back to the, to the, to the, um, to the room where the Carrie and the kids are. And she's like, honey, how'd it go? I'm like, honey, I killed out there. And, um, so anyway, I, t- I, I got to be honest with you. I've been waiting for months to tell you that because I've been waiting for Eutychus because I have a Eutychus story, but it just, by the way, you know, what the best part is about Eutychus. The name Eutychus in Greek means lucky. And uh, I don't know why that's the funniest thing in the world to me, but it is. He's, he's the lucky guy who fell out the window. And, um, but Paul, Paul has to go downstairs. I just love this. Uh, uh, Paul goes downstairs. It says he falls on the guy. And then uh, the, this guy, you know, it says he's a young man, which in that, uh, th- that Greek word means that he's somewhere around 18 to 30, which um, only doesn't sound young unless you're over 50, which just kind of gives you the idea how old these guys were. But uh, when you're older 50, you're like, yeah, that's a young man there. So anyway, um, but you got to, I, I wish, I wish, I wish that Luke would have recorded um, Paul's prayer because I'm, I'm dying. I'd pay good money to find out what he said. Like, Lord, you got to heal this kid. This is my, I'm, I'm only here for one day, right? We've, I'm, I'm here, I'm leaving tomorrow. And it's like, you know, people are being like, hey, have you heard Paul? He's a killer preacher, but I don't want to be a killer preacher. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, but you know what's amazing to me? And I just love this, that these believers, they stay up till midnight. Then they're like, hey, let's eat something. And then Paul goes another six hours until the sun comes up and then he's going to leave. And it's like, wow, that just seems extreme. But it's not extreme. It's not extreme when, you're, when, when you love someone or you love something. You're willing to be unreasonable. And it never feels unreasonable. It always feels like the right thing to do. So what's the reason to tell you all of this? Here's my encouragement to you as we close. I want you to be unreasonable. I want you to love in an unreasonable way. I want you to be extreme in how you love. Not loving anything or, or anyone. I want you to, listen, if you will be unreasonable in how you love and show the people that you love how much you love them, it'll change you. Listen, I, I did this thing and um, I don't know, and I, and I guess maybe it was, you know, after my dad died that I, I wanted to start telling the people that I care about, that I care about them. And so when I would talk to my friends on the phone and some of my friends, I've been friends with for 30 years and um, that I would just say, hey, I love you, man. And, um, 
And let me tell you something, and it was, it was so important to me to say that. And, um, and you know, some people that I would, some of my friends that I would talk to, like, yeah, I love you too, Bob. Thank you. That's all, you know. And then, um, but not everyone received it well. Like, I remember one of my friends, I was like, we were getting on the phone, like, hey, love you, man. I was like, what did you say to me? Saying I love you, man. I was like, okay. What am I supposed to do with this information? Like, I, you don't have to do anything. I just, just hang up the phone. That's really what I want you to do right now. And so, um, but yeah, some people don't respond well. I remember uh, one time I was, out to, I was out to dinner with a friend of mine and, um, and I paid. And, um, and, and, and he's, he's a bit sensitive. Um, but he's like, why did you pay? Do you think I can't afford to buy my own dinner? I'm like, no, man. I'm just, I love you. I just wanted to buy. He goes, oh, you love me? I think you're a jerk. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I, I think we need to change the nature of this relationship. And, uh, but you know what's funny is that after a while, um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm on the phone with one of my friends this week, and um, at the end, uh, we're getting off, hey, you know, I got to go. And he's like, all right, man, hey, love you, Bob. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, you do. After, you know, and it's why? No, I didn't say that. I was like, hey, thanks, I appreciate that. And uh, why? Because it just, you start telling people how you feel. You know what's going to happen? Because you become the influence, and now they start telling you. Um, listen, everyone is seeking joy. And, and, and I'm telling you that if you want to know the secret of joy, I'm telling you, it is so counterintuitive to what the world thinks. Um, when, the, you know, when the world goes out and says, I'm going to find my own happiness, that is like a guarantee to be miserable. Um, when you realize that joy is a byproduct, joy is the byproduct of purpose, that it's the byproduct of walking with Jesus, it just changes the game. If you would just look at your marriage, and, and realize this, if you stop making your marriage about you and start making it about the other person's joy and honoring God in your marriage, something amazing will happen. You will find a joy that you never thought was possible. And, and I know that some people are calculating and they're like, hold on, you're trying to tell me if I don't try to be happy in my marriage, I'll be happier than I ever thought. Like, that's exactly what I'm saying. You're like, that's just crazy talk. And I know you think it's crazy talk because you've never done it. But I'm telling you, if you will do it, um, it will bring you more joy than you could have even dreamt possible. And by the way, um, not only is it going to bring you joy, but it doesn't even mean that everything's going to be perfect in your life. In fact, um, there's a case to be made that joy, more joy is seen in your life when things aren't going perfect than when things are. But my friends, it begins with God. When you will become unreasonable in your love for God and you become unreasonable in your love for the people that God has brought into your life, let me tell you something. There is more joy there than you think should be legally allowed. I'm telling you, it is amazing. Why? Because when you love the right things, joy follows because that's the thing that we've been looking for. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for the incredible work that you want to do in us. Thank you that you allow us to love and even love unreasonably. God, that's our hope and our prayer is that we would be a kind of people that are known for the love that we have for one another, the love that we have for you. And Lord, help us in that. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.